Welcome back to Our Common Salvation. A couple of episodes ago, we began a new series that we're calling What Hath Jerusalem to Do with Athens? A History of Soul Care in the Church and in the Culture, 1400 BC to AD 2021. And in the first episode, we considered an introduction and an overview to soul care. Uh, what is it? And what are we even talking about? Uh, then our last episode, we began to take up the issue of why study 3,000 years of soul care. And we gave seven reasons to do so. And the seventh reason was to be inspired from the heroes of the story of counseling, to be inspired from the heroes of the story of counseling. And you know, with each of the points that we made, uh, we tied each one to scripture, of course, to see how these aims are biblical. But I really failed to do that in the seventh point. And so I wanted to raise one scripture here that I think will transition well to today's topic. When we think about being inspired from the heroes of the story of counseling, uh, we need to remember that counseling is about what the Bible's about. And the Bible's about what counseling is about. So when we say the history of counseling, we're also talking about the history of scripture, of course. And scripture has a particular angle on heroes that I think it's important for us. Hebrews 13, 7, for example, says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. I want to say that again. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. And of course, in the last episode, we considered uh, men like King David and the Apostle Paul, Chrysostom, Augustine, Luther, Baxter, Spencer, Adams, right up to present day, names like David Paulison and Paul Tripp and Ed Welch and Steve Byers and Heath Lambert and on and on. Well, when we think about heroes in our lives, when we remember those who spoke the word of God to us, we consider the outcome of their life and want to imitate their faith. The very first authorities in a God-ordained structure of authority that we might want to consider along these lines are, of course, parents. Now, parents are always counseling, just as all of us are always counseling. Uh, the question really at the end of the day is not, are they counseling? The question is, what is the quality of their counsel? We might begin with a passage like this, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you'll talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Well, that was the mosaic vision for parents of the old covenant. Not long ago, uh, the Barner Research Group conducted a study with parents who had children under the age of 13. And when asked, a full 85% of the parents polled believed that they had the primary responsibility for teaching their children about religious beliefs and spiritual matters. 
Nevertheless, the study also found that the majority of the parents didn't spend any time at all during a typical week discussing religious matters with their children. So you just heard that correctly. The vast majority of parents interviewed believed that they had the primary responsibility, the primary responsibility for teaching their children about spiritual matters, while most of them confessed that they did not do anything during a typical week to make that happen. You can imagine where most of these parents were placing their hope. <laughs> well, in an effort of the church to make disciples of their children for them. Now, perhaps it's all in how you ask the question, right? Uh, the questions asked determine the answers given. The Barna study dealt specifically with, quote, religious beliefs and spiritual matters, end quote. Religious beliefs and spiritual matters. Well, based on our initial spade work in God's word here, these really can't be thought of as substantially different from soul matters, Remember, spiritual issues are soul issues. Matters of the spirit are matters of the soul. Counseling is essentially a religious enterprise. Whether we wish it to be that way or not is quite apart from the point. It is that way. Fascinatingly, Sigmund Freud felt that it was as well. Though an atheistic Jew with absolutely no use for belief in the God of the Bible or any sort of therapeutic endeavor based on Holy Scripture, Freud did, in point of fact, see his work as religious or at least pastoral in nature. That's his term, not mine. Dr. Heath Lambert explains, quote, in his work, The Question of Lay Analysis, Freud argued for a class of secular pastoral workers. Now that's Freud's language. That is an actual quote from Freud's book. He argued for a class of, quote, secular pastoral workers, end quote, with the goal of secularizing the counseling task. Uh, Lambert goes on to explain the term counseling was not in vogue in Freud's day. So amazingly, he described the task of helping people as the pastoral task. And in his book, The Question of Lay Analysis, Freud makes clear that his task was to remove counseling from the ministerial context and place it firmly into a secular one, end quote. Now, I cite that example simply to establish the point that theists and atheists in the church and in the culture alike do understand, they do, that soul care is intensely spiritual in its essence. At its foundation, psychology, soul wisdom can't help but be this way. This is religious. This is spiritual. It's soul care. Of course it is. Now, back to that Barna study and those statistics. Remember, a full 85% of the parents polled believed that they had the primary responsibility for uh, addressing their children about spiritual matters and religious beliefs. Nevertheless, the study also found that the majority of parents didn't spend any time at all during a typical week discussing spiritual matters with their children. A curious arrangement of priorities. Now, let's revisit Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, having put on our soul care spectacles. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses paints a portrait of life, worship, love, commitment, soul care, spiritual direction, and counseling, all in the context of family initiated by parents that is totally countercultural today. Soul care is a seamless garment woven into the fabric of everyday life in this text. This vision of parents under the old covenant as soul care physicians is shot through with integrity. It is remarkable in its flexibility. It is steady in its constancy. And it is palpable in its creativity. If you were to ask the question, where does counseling, where does the care and the cure of souls begin? The answer is at home. At home. At least it did in ancient Israel. Parents are the primary practitioners of soul care in the pages of the Old Testament. We will, in the next episode, get to wise men, scribes, and rabbis. We will. But let's not forget where wise men, scribes, and rabbis come from. The stork doesn't drop them on doorsteps. Parents are the primary practitioners of soul care in the pages of the Old Testament. That is true. It is incontestable. And in the case where father or mother is absent or unavailable, uninterested, or just out to lunch, then know this much. Those children will seek parenting. They will. They'll just find it somewhere else. And children don't always choose the wisest mentors. They choose mentors who are available and who are willing to pour into them. God has so designed the family that the ones who bring soul care into the world are the ones who are held most accountable to God for its care and cure in, as that soul matures. In his magisterial work on spiritual warfare entitled uh, The Christian Complete Armor, the Puritan William Gurnall writes the following, Can there be a greater heartache in this life than to see your own child running full speed toward hell and know that you were the one who outfitted him for the race? Oh, do your best while they are young and in your constant care to win them to God and to set them on the road to heaven, end quote. Now, Gurnall wrote those words nearly 350 years ago, and they are as relevant to us as if they were written this morning. Parents may have failed under the old covenant, and they certainly did, Parents may have fallen short under the old covenant. Parents may have absolutely punted on their responsibility under the old covenant. But this much is true. By the design of Almighty God, parents were to be the primary practitioners of soul care in the pages of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, 4-9 sets the pattern. The rest of the Old Testament bears witness. Uniquely, the book of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 says, Hear, my son. Your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching or proverbs 4 beginning in verse 1 hear o sons a father's instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight for i give you good precepts do not forsake my teaching 
When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Now, we could just keep on going. The whole chapter, Proverbs 4, reads that way. And not just chapter 4, but the entire first third of the book of Proverbs is the voice of a father speaking to his son. And what's Proverbs? Proverbs is wisdom literature. To tweak the genre a little bit, Proverbs is biblical psychology. It's the faith's psychology, to use David Pallison's phrase. It's divinely inspired soul care desk reference. And who's the counselor? Dad and mom. <laughs> Parents together. Parents are the primary practitioners of soul care in the pages of the Old Testament. And why? Well, because it was the delight of parents under the Old Covenant. Not only the duty, the delight. Proverbs 23, 15 says, my son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. Oh, I got to read that again. Proverbs 23, 15. Any of you who are fathers or mothers right now uh, listening to this, I think you'll resonate with these words. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. You say, well, how much did the son have to pay dad for an hour of his time? What was dad's counseling fee? <laughs> it was pro bono work, friends. Dad didn't just have to do it. He got to do it. Fathers didn't used to be threatened by counseling their children under the old covenant. They used to be thrilled about it. Proverbs 23, 24 to 26 says, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad. Let her, her who bore you rejoice. So under the old covenant, parents were to step up to the plate and swing to the fences when it came to soul care in the home to venture all of their lives for the salvation and spiritual maturity of their children. God wanted it this way. And unless we have a new God today in the 21st century, he still wants it this way. Now, parents may not see themselves this way today. In fact, it's painfully obvious that many don't. However, this much is true. Parents are the primary practitioners of soul care in the pages of the Old Testament. Now, there are a second and third and fourth tier of practitioners of soul care in the Old Testament, and those would be wise men, scribes, and rabbis. And we'll take a look at each of those three on the next episode of Our Common Salvation. Grace and peace.